This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Welcome to it. It's the first day of a new month. It's February the 1st. Welcome to it. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. My name is Arabi Lekumete. Of course, we're going to unpack a whole host of economic and financial news. Everything to have come out at least within the last 24 hours and perhaps some things that are going to last probably way longer than the last 24 hours as well. The important factors for Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency is, of course, just how to decrease that 27.5% unemployment rate, which seems sustainable. But is it really? Is it just a case of not using the right amount of research and supporting job creation in order to reduce inequalities in South Africa? The South African uh, Towards uh, Inclusive Economic Development Program is, of course, continuing. And we'll chat to them just about how we can adopt a more research-intensive uh, approach to helping the scenario with regards to jobs. Also, the SABC has decided to scrap its retrenchment plans. Um, They had, of course, decided that they would uh, first have a skills audit as well and just see how things would go. And that was expected to end at the end of January. Uh, It seems, however, that they've decided to go against the grain on this one and perhaps focus a little bit more on how to uh, make the business a little bit better and come up with a better way to make money as well. Franchising, that needs to stay ahead of the game. It is one way in which uh, entrepreneurs can enter the business sector and perhaps a little less fuss if one would think of it that way. We'll chat to the Franchise Association of South Africa about that. And uh, Philip Mgati is the founder and CEO of Pago. He is our entrepreneurship interview and that happens at 20 to 8. And of course, I may be alone on the co-host front, but Gary Boyson is here, however, and he'll take things over for me at some stage. Right, Gary? Of course. Of course. Awesome stuff. Let's get into it. This is your Friday edition and your February the 1st edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. The market indicators are brought to you by the FNB Business 48-Hour Cash Accelerator. Get great rates and fast access. Now, after what was a positive start on the JSE, even around half a percent to the good at midday, it ended up just closing flat. That's the situation with the all share on Thursday. It was weighed down a lot more by a poor showing from some of the miners. Of course, that U.S. Federal Reserve stance has also just sent a message that boosted sentiment towards risk assets like South Africa's currency. Uh, so, uh, things were a little bit better better off in terms of sentiment uh, and it has been quite interesting however as well on the trade front we also saw some trade numbers come out yesterday for south africa the highest uh, trade surplus on record over 17 uh, million on that front as well there so some Good trading, some 17 billion, should I say, actually, uh, with regards to that. So the RAND performing slightly better as well there. ShopRite falling uh, 13.94% in the whole month of January. Uh, Mr. Price 9.4% down on Woolworths, 8.82% down. So nobody's going to chuckle at that one. Global sentiment subdued a little by weak German retail sales data, although Asian markets were boosted by better than expected data uh, by uh, China as well, where factory and farm gate inflation rose from three-year lows. As I said there, of course, you did have those trade numbers. Even PPI decelerating to 5.2%. 
That's from November's figure of 6.8%. So that even beat uh, the forecast of 5.8% as well then for the month of December. So some uh, good numbers coming through there, but unfortunately the all-share ending the day pretty flat, uh, although with a slightly green tinge, 0.05% to the good with uh, sitting at 54,156 points. Uh, it's 13.30 for a uh, US dollar, 15.21 for a euro, and 17.41 for a British pound uh, out in Asia this morning slightly mixed bag the Nikkei is sitting uh, slightly negative at 20,757 points uh, the Shanghai composite out in China's mainland 2,600 points that's up two-thirds of a percent and the Hang Seng is down half a percent 27,782 it's 1,318 dollars a fine ounce for gold platinum at 820 dollars flush uh, while the price of Bren crude is 61 dollars and five cents a barrel this is Classic Business, Breakfast with MoneyWeb, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. As I noted, of course, a little bit earlier on, joining me in studio, Gary Boyce and Portfolio Manager at Rand Swiss, unpacking this market picture for us. Uh, Gary, so a flat stance pretty much for the JSE uh, on the last trading day uh, of January. But it has been a fairly upbeat January, right? Yeah, absolutely, compared to December. <laughs> You've seen a, a massive rebound internationally, which is, I so think... So the Christmas rally came late. Oh, I'm looking forward to sending <laughs> statements to clients this month and just saying, look, you know, like there's a little bit of volatility, but yeah. it works both ways. Yeah, it is from a low base, however, right? So so it wasn't necessarily the greatest uh, January perhaps we've seen, but it was good I'll, to see I'll take some. it. Uh, exactly. I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody will complain much. That ShopRite picture quite disturbing, however, 13.94%, and seemingly some other retailers as well suffering, the likes of Mr. Price, the likes of Woolworths as well. Uh, it hasn't necessarily been a great time for them, and I guess it mimics or kind of shows the state of South Africa's economy as well. Oh, absolutely. So, so Shoprite kind of, kind of that big decline uh, on Wednesday. You, you know, ma- massive sell-off on the back of the, the results. But we saw we saw a strong rebound yesterday. And I mean, when we looked at it, uh, you know, again, it did look a little bit pessimistic. So we're we're kind of looking at the the range that it should find, and it really depends on on kind of what the Ford multiple settle, settles on and, yeah. and wh- where people now see Shoprite price. But I mean, if you go through the the, the multiples, which I'm sure <laughs> listeners aren't probably too interested in, you know, where we think the the, the Ford PE is going to sit, but yeah. um, we, we we see the the share price sort of sitting between say the the, the low one forties and the upper one sixties is where it should settle somewhere in between there. So a nice a nice recovery yesterday. You know up up it was uh, it's up over six percent at one mm. point. So it's it's nice to see. But but certainly speaking to a, I suppose a, a South African consumer that is weaker and and just speaking to I think part of this is is also got to do with uh, the the VAT increases as well and just mm. uh, taking a little bit extra out of everyone's pockets. But also just a, again the lack of inflation coming through and the lack of the abilities for these retailers to pass on inflation to the the consumer is is very very prevalent and yeah. uh, it's it's certainly uh, yeah, uh worry, worrying investors in the sector certainly mm. so here's one interesting question i wanted to actually ask so it seems that the please call me case which uh, supposedly shut down vodacom in some ways with regards to the shops yesterday uh, um is is gathering even more steam and yesterday was was seriously a culmination of that if if MTN were to bow down, it, it does seem unlikely, but if MTN were to bow down to the uh, reports of a 70 billion rand payout that uh, the, the, the now founder of and, and inventor of the Please Call Me has suggested perhaps to some, um, do you believe that this cripples Vodacom? 70 billion. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. I think. I mean, P- that's almost a third of the company. P- P- not- people. 
I, I think people also they, they don't realize quite how much more a billion is than a million. It's a, it's so easy to oh it's just a B different, you know. It's not an M and a B different. It, it's significantly different. And I, mean, I, I saw it as one of your other commentators, Byron from from Vestac, tweeting just saying that you, you know this this looks like a ridiculous case. And I mean there has there's been a big sort of like swelling behind it. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate on Twitter for saying this after the yeah, show. Yeah. But but the fact is that that so much an idea is is probably one percent. Ninety nine percent is implemented and any business owner will tell you that. Yeah. Um, ideas are fantastic, but without without the backing, they mean nothing. And uh, you know, you look at the, the infrastructure spend that Vodacom has put in, and the, you know, you have to create an entire network to make a please call me work. Yeah. What would justify a third of a, like the network capacity yeah. of Vodacom? It's, I suppose it's, someone it's just crazy, complaining right? that you know they went on to even sell the idea then to other uh, to other networks as well, and saying that you know he needs to be compensated mm-hmm. fairly. Look, if the if the word is yeah. that indeed it was forty nine million that was offered, forty nine million. And seventy billion, it's 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 so far apart. And if you think of the, the the quantum forty-nine million, I mean, whether that's high or low, forty-nine million for most people, that is, you never have to work again for the rest of your life. Yeah. That is what forty-nine million can do to be yeah. properly invested. You. Seventy billion. I mean, that it, sure. it's, it seems like crazy greed. After me. fourteen years, though, you must admit that forty-nine million would probably just pay off his legal fees. A- absolutely, and I think I think that was the issue. That uh, you know, with with such a long-running court battle, you know, forty-nine. If it was forty-nine million just in a bank account and there was no debt against it, yeah. I think it would be a different matter. Absolutely, yeah. but but again, like I have got a point. Just at the quantum, you know, forty-nine billion compared to seventy, forty-nine million at least compared to seventy billion, is is just it's not even the same game. It's not not in the same ballpark it's not the same game yeah it's completely yeah. different and this will definitely co- go back to court by the seams of things and you know it may be uh, an even longer wait nonetheless okay let's let's talk about some other news as well on the international front of course we yes fine we finally have the u.s shutdown coming to an end brexit still hasn't been solved u.s china that situation see, is, is continuing to to go on and uh, and unravels itself then Global sentiment, however, is a little bit subdued as Italy goes into uh, a recession as well. So things aren't necessarily going the way you would have liked at the beginning of the year, and things are beginning to hurt the market even more. Any bit of bad news does send the market lower now. I, I'm waiting for that to reverse, though, because at the moment we we obviously the big the big news this week was also the the dovish stance taken by the the FOMC on yep. Wednesday, and again. I think every single point you've just mentioned was mentioned by by Jerome Powell as well, uh, just really highlighting that there, there are serious global concerns, and that is moderating uh, the Fed's view on on how fast it's going to increase interest rates. And, and the, the, I think the market is interpreting that is that we're going to have looser money for longer. So while there are a lot of issues in the world, just that ability to kind of keep keep uh, monetary policy a little bit easier is, is helping asset prices. It's one of the reasons that we're seeing the big rebound. It's certainly the reason that we're seeing the rand as strong as it is. And uh, while we have had a, you know, if you look at the U.S. earnings specifically, we've seen a nice uh, tick up in developed markets, certainly. I mean, we've had had some very good numbers reported. Um, one of our base cases at the beginning of the year was with the moderation of the, 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 the expectations on interest rates uh, uh, in uh, hikes, at least uh, from from the U.S., that you should see money flowing towards the emerging markets, which is it's, it's playing out far quicker than we yeah. than we assumed, yeah. and we, we're seeing money now flooding back into emerging markets, which is fantastic. It is really, really positive news for South Africa, and uh, you know if you look at the the basket of emerging market nations, if you want to put it that way, South Africa at the moment is is underweight in that basket, yeah. and uh, you know that. You know, when when you start getting bargain hunters, that's where people are going to start seeing value, hopefully. Yeah. And and we, we've we've been in a multi-year uh, 
downtrend in emerging markets and and part of that is because there's been an expectation that yeah. that monetary conditions are going to tighten in developed markets so it's it's good news at, as at it, the moment as bad news tightens. is good news yeah yeah true true as it tightens however let's put a pause on that conversation and we'll get back to it but one thing that has been quite significant and quite important has been growth and i'm going to just run on to the next conversation here and it's about inclusive growth particularly for developed nations and uh, of course the southern africa towards inclusive economic development research um, has been quite significant and has put out measures to to grow South Africa's economy. And let's chat to Carol Newman from Trinity College in Dublin and from the Southern Africa uh, Towards Inclusive Economic Development uh, Program as well. Joining us on the line, Carol, we appreciate your time this morning. Very quickly, some sentiments, some thoughts, some of the ways in, so, in which South Africa needs to look at this growth issue just a little bit better. Um, yes, I think what's really crucial um, at this point in time in South Africa is to provide a solid evidence base um, for policies moving forward. And in the SA Pride program, that's, that's what we're, we're attempting to do. So we have a very um, a, a comprehensive research program where we plan on producing over 150 different studies on these types of issues. And I think what we really need to do is drill down to the micro level to try and understand what is working, what is not working, where the constraints are and where the opportunities are. And that's where our research is trying to take us. One of the measures thing, uh, one of the things that we perhaps need to look at, you know, quite a lot, of course, has been unemployment. But there's inequality, there's poverty. How do you entrench all of those? Can they be solved with one solution? Uh, you know, and or you know, how do we then look at it? And you know, one of the examples you've used before is, of course, the case of Ireland. How do we take on a similar situation uh, and and get better from it? Well, I think what we have to do is, it is no one, there's no one solution to these problems. Um, I mean, you have to look at the economy as a whole and you have to focus a bit on the, on, on the vulnerable groups. Um, I discussed that we had a, a, a very interesting dialogue yesterday with the public um, where education came out as a key theme, where teams came out about how to create jobs, how to encourage entrepreneurship. Um, and that, that that has to happen at the micro level where you're really drilling into seeing why micro enterprises, for example, can't grow. Um, why there's a skill shortage when there is, um, you know, a lot of training initiatives actually happening. Why is that skill shortage still there? So we need to drill down to that micro level, while at the same time understanding the larger opportunities for um, larger firms, for foreign direct investment, and for export growth. So it really has to be a whole economy approach, and we really have to investigate into all of the different dimensions um, that are going on. Do you think South Africa is making the right noises, though? We held uh, quite a number of summits last week. One might feel that it's just talk shops, but at the same time, if you don't start talking about the problem and finding the right solutions for it, you know, you won't, you know, you won't get to the, po- to the point where you can implement them. So are we making at least the right noises? I think, that, I think we're heading in the right direction. I mean, I'm very impressed by the level of engagement. I mean, part of that tied is this partnership and this co-creation of knowledge with local institutions, with local researchers. And that level of engagement is, is, is really, really impressive. And there's a unique opportunity here in South Africa, given the quality of the data that are available, the quality of the, of the research that's being conducted, that I really think it's heading in the right direction. And that willingness to engage in research and, and to really try to provide that very solid evidence base, I think is very impressive. So in my mind, it's a very, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. At least some positivity from someone. Thank you so much, Carol, for that. Carol Newman from Trinity College in Dublin and uh, the Southern Africa Towards 
uh, in inclusive economic development program as well. Joining us on the line. Appreciate your time this morning. It's 7.20. Let's get to your traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. So 722, the South African Broadcasting Corporation announcing yesterday that it would not continue with a retrenchment process that has been sharply criticized, of course, by most employees, if not all employees. The national broadcaster saying that it had decided not to renew the notice to invoke Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act, which governs how retrenchments proceeds. It says that it is doing this in the interest of the SABC, its employees, key stakeholders, and the South African public at large. And, of course, it says that it also uh, follows constructive and extensive engagements with various stakeholders, including the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Communications, organized labor, and its own employees. Hannes Duboisen is the president of Bimau, and he joins us on the line. You certainly must be at least very happy with the announcement that they have stopped the Section uh, 189 of the Labor Relations Act, which governs how retrenchments proceeds. But what is your hope and the plan from here on forward? Good morning. Yes, indeed. Very happy. Very happy for uh, each and every employee, for their families, um, and for the uh, the public in in, in general. Um, well, we what is going to happen next is that the SABC um, is going to embark on what we've been asking for, which is a skills audit. Um, uh, that process uh, is going to take roughly 14 months, one four. And uh, then, of course, the SABC has indicated in a meeting yesterday when they made this announcement that um, we are working, going to work uh, closely together to review the structure of the SABC. Uh, then, then, of course, the information that is, uh, that is going to be gathered by the skills audit will then be used to, um, to see if people are uh, properly trained, uh, correctly placed, and and, and of course, if there are any redundancies uh, in, in the SABC, and uh, we will then uh, jointly with SABC uh, see how we can retrain those people, we can reposition them, uh, and to ensure that uh, that there is minimum impact, if any, at the end of of this entire process. Mr. Duboisen, you might, you'll admit, however, that at present it is obviously currently cash-strapped, right? It's not, it's not a situation where we're seeing the SABC only get cash-strapped in 14 months' time. One, how, uh, at what, uh, what's the date which, with regards to the actual start of uh, the skills audit? And two, what happens to the SABC in the meantime, in those 14 months, it is going to continue to be cash-strapped. So what is the plan and the process in that, in that time if you've had uh, engagements regarding this? Yeah, I think the SABC would be better positioned to answer that question. But our understanding, of course, is that there's been substantial savings being made in the meantime due to proper management processes being put in place uh, by the current management of the SABC. That is uh, effected in a lot of savings. There's also um, a productivity increase from the side of the SABC employees. Uh, I think the SABC is, is slowly recovering from the uh, from from the bad uh, publicity and and uh, you know the that image that 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 it got itself as a result of uh, all of the shenanigans of the previous regime. So yes, the the the, the SABC will remain but uh, the situation is going to be much better, and this is what we have been told yesterday as well. And of course, the process of 
then obtaining a uh, government guarantee. Uh, so bailout is currently uh, underway, and we believe that that um, would, would then also assist. But one should not uh, just look at uh, being cashed. And, and, and the cost of the SABC, and we have said this before, if one does not make money, if you don't, if your revenue is down, then of course, uh, you know, it, it, look, uh, it looks out of balance. Once the SABC is going to, um, uh, to be restored to, uh, to a free functional uh, public broadcaster that has been trusted by, uh, by the uh, SABC public, then we believe that the advertisers will come back. We need to look at a different funding model for the SABC as well. Uh, so I think all of those things is, will be discussed uh, during, uh, during this particular process. In your representation then of the workers uh, um, at, you know, some of the workers at the SABC, um, have you found that a lot, of, a lot of them have been willing participants and are willing to be part of that skills audit and that they indeed will share their thoughts, their, their excitement and perhaps even, uh, you know, some of their, their, their issues with regards to the SABC and how things have been done there and perhaps offer a solution as well with regards to that uh, uh, skills audit and what the SABC can do with regards to its, uh, its funding crisis. Absolutely. I think that it is imperative that employees participate and we will encourage them to do so. Uh, in fact, it is, it, it is really necessary for us to do that if we to turn around the SABC. So we will closely work with SABC management. And yes, there is a lot of enthusiasm uh, on the side of employees. Remember that the SABC was basically leaderless. Um, you know, there were, there were a lot of things going on and, and people... Uh, doing uh, all of those wrong things that has been um, reported on already. So, so it seems that we have some sort of leadership at the SABC currently, and um, the only, only negativity that that has brought for a short while now was, was this uh, Section 189 process. With that out of the way now, I think that um, you know, for the first time yesterday when I was in, in, in the studios and, and walking around at the SABC, people were actually smiling. They were actually really talking to each other and, and there was a, a spirit of uh, let, let's take the SABC forward, let's make a change and let us uh, restore it to its former glory. Yeah, this is just a hypothetical question that I'm now going to ask you. But, you know, if, if there are going to be some detractors and some people along the conversation who are going to say let's privatize the SABC anyway or find a way to to you know add in some private investment etc would you be opposed to any of that and if so in what way would you rather structure uh, uh, perhaps assistance if in any form or format from the private sector well i don't think that the sabc can be privatized uh, it is a public broadcaster and uh, i think that uh, that the the government should and must, must remain uh, as the democratic elective uh, body of the people of South Africa should remain the main stakeholder. Uh, so we don't think that that is an option because once uh, it has been privatized, then comes private interest and all of that, and it may not uh, remain uh, as independent as it should be. So uh, we, 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 we sincerely think that there should be a very serious relook at the funding model. The SABC has been... Uh, profitable previously or making a surplus uh, and we believe that if there's proper management in place and of course if degrees are motivated and uh, processes and is, is in place that the SABC do not need any private investments or uh, any uh, privatization as such.
Hannes, appreciate your time this morning, really. And, uh, of course, we'll continue to engage with you with regards to this and see how the plans go as and when that skills audit as well takes place. And hopefully as the results of that skills audit come to the fore as well, we can have a conversation with you with regards to the steps to be taken right after that. Hannes Duboisen is the president of Bimau as well. Union sort of looking after and helping through with regards to uh, employees at the SABC. It's uh, 7.30, your news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. So one of the ways that entrepreneurs can sort of get into business has always been considered franchising, of course. And I know a lot of people who've always asked the question, how much is a particular franchise? How do you get into one? And just how significant and important it is that that industry stays alive, not just for those companies themselves, but certainly also for franchising as a whole, that it remains at the forefront of being able to help people who certainly need to be part of that entrepreneurship segment. And it is, of course, one of the easiest, easier ways to, to get into it. But how important is it that it stays ahead of the game, that the energy uh, of, of, of franchises remains quite, uh, quite big, quite massive, and that they continue to look enticing as well? Vera uh, Velasquez, who is the executive director of Franchise Association of South Africa, joins us on the line. I apologize there if I didn't say your surname correction, uh, correctly there. But Vera, thank you so much for your time this morning. The significance of keeping the franchise industry alive and, and, and ahead of the game, as we say. How significant and important is that right now? Hi, good morning, um, and good morning to the listeners. Um, the franchise industry, uh, according to our latest survey, contributes over 15% to our economy. So I would say it's, it's pretty important that we ensure the franchise industry th- thrives and, and continues to grow going into the future. Yes, Vera. So with regards to that, then, if, if, if it is going to be such a, a, a need even going into the future, how important is it that staying ahead of the game and what, what implementations, what plans, what ideas can sort of be brought to the fore in order to ensure that it actually does stay as enticing for entrepreneurs, for consumers as well, and that uh, it, it doesn't just feel like it's being hogged by the people who already have uh, and that the have-nots can also enter this game? Well, yes, you know, I'm sure you've you've heard about the the one constant thing in our lives that is change, and most certainly change affects um, the franchise industry and anyone in business every single day. So um, it, it's incredibly important that um, anyone in business, including our our over 40,000 franchisees, um, take note of how they market their business. Um, what the trends are, you know, we've, we've picked up internationally that um, consumers, especially the uh, uh, millennials, uh, live online. You know, so everything that they do, everything that they talk about wherever they go, they post it on social media, in Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we believe that unless our brands understand social media and has a dedicated social media strategy, um, they can quickly get forgotten in this extremely competitive market. And, and you're talking about challenges. You know, there, there are so many challenges that a, a business owner would face. And yes, of course, the franchise industry does offer a, a, a comfort and, and a safer environment in terms of knowledge and expertise that's on hand and available to franchisees. But that doesn't mean that they can sit back and say, well, 
this is easy money. They have to work probably just as hard or harder at their business than, than the franchisors have to. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, challenges like um, getting um, a favorable lease uh, negotiations done with our landlords and, and good sites incentives. And all of those things impact and weigh very heavily on, on the business owner. And then we look at um, change, as I said, um, new ways of, of monitoring your your um, stock, the way that you schedule your manpower, all of those things today are changing. And, and that old approach of, well, it's worked in the past and it's not broken, so why should it be changed? I think one needs to take a very serious look at, at the way that businesses are managed and run today to make sure that they are competitive and that they survive this extremely challenging period that, we, that we're currently moving through. Hi, Vera. Gary here. Uh, I've got a quick question also on the change uh, that franchises are, are going through. I suppose in the past, as you mentioned, social media wasn't, wasn't very prevalent. And I suppose what the, the individual franchises were looking for the, the overall franchisor to to provide the marketing and, and the brand name. So I mean, I, I'll go and buy a KFC, uh, but KFC is going to run all the ad campaigns. How how are the how is the business model adapting to the fact that each individual franchise owner is now wanting to go on social media and have their own Twitter account and market their own KFC from uh, Bryanston or KFC from from uh, Melrose? How 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 do the the, the larger the larger groups uh, adapt to that? Well, that's always been a strategy for as long as I can remember local store marketing. So um, there's always been a requirement from the franchisor for the individual franchisee to allocate a marketing budget to local store marketing. So it just depends on you know where the store is situated and the owner's attitude to local store marketing because many franchisees prefer to perhaps get involved with their community so they would um, get on social media and talk about the support at the local um, sporting events or the local charity drives or whatever it may be. So each business owner would have their own community and the issues that they feel are important for them in that specific business. So I think franchisors really favor um, the, the, the strategy of the individual franchisee to market their business locally. Of course, it has to happen under the marketing guidelines and auspices of the franchisor. So uh, franchisees can't just go off and do their own, own crazy stuff. It's got to be approved by the marketing department of the franchise company. But it certainly is a very, very important aspect of, of running a business. And getting onto social media and, and many of the platforms as I said, is, is of crucial importance. And many of the franchisors, of course, uh, supply and provide guidance to their franchisees on how to go online, what to say, what not to say, how to promote their businesses. And yes, as I said, one needs to be skilled at, at uh, making sure that your social media money is spent adequately and that you get a good return on it. So, I mean, the, the interesting part too to all of it, as you said then, is very significant that you you form a, a heavy part of your business from the onset of of course taking looking after it yourself is going to be very important uh mm. being in the forefront right but as you said that online space is one that is very very key how do you make sure then that the synchronized ability 
for all the franchises is the same with regards to better service, better uh, ways to take on customers. Not just social media now. I'm talking about electronics. I'm talking about uh, you know mechanics within the entity uh, streamlining the way you do services. And I'm not just talking about food entities now. You know you could talk about pretty much anything here, from hairdressing, uh, you know, right through to to making food. Of course, how do you make sure that those services are still streamlined and still are, uh, allow the ability for entrepreneurs to get in and feel that they can indeed take on uh, that uh, that uh, that you know that new generation sort of technology to enhance the business. Yeah, well, as I said, it's set down by the franchisor, so the franchisor is tasked with um, making sure that their franchisees understand um, the, the central marketing message or the central brand ethos around customer service or delivering a quality product or whatever the, the imperatives are that that brand is hinged on. So um, the individual franchisee would look towards the franchisor and the owner of that business to provide the framework within which the franchisee can then market electronically or, or, or wherever, wherever it may be. Um, most franchisors would supply templates, um, physical you know, uh, tools that franchisees can use to market their businesses online. So it's not a free-for-all. Um, you Google and see what you can do and then go and paste and copy your own branding onto it. That That is not um, how the franchise industry would operate generally. The franchisor would set down the guidelines, the frameworks. Um, many of them have workshops and training courses on how to do this properly. So um, it is very much the franchisor's um, responsibility to provide that um, training um, and hand-holding to the individual franchisee to make sure that they have a strong, uniform message that is exactly based on the brand's um, key principles, whatever they may be. Yeah, okay. Well, it all makes sense. Vera, thank you so much for your time. Executive Director there at the Franchise Association of South Africa. It's 7.41, your traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. So every Friday, of course, as usual, is, of course, our entrepreneurship interview. And this time around, we have Philip Mgatti, who is the founder and CEO of Pago Payments. And he joins us on the line to tell us perhaps a little bit more about not just the business, but himself as well, and just getting into this entrepreneurship space. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for your time this morning, Ben. Um, just let's talk about what Pago Payments actually is. And if I'm even saying it correctly, sometimes you find that uh, these names are actually said a whole lot differently. Uh, yes, you said it directly actually. So Pago is um, an online payment gateway where we uh, let people without banking uh, pay online using their airtime. That's the high-level uh, pitch of Pago. So ultimately, it, it, would re- it would mean that somebody buys airtime for themselves as they normally would in whatever way, and you could then buy goods from wherever it is using that airtime. Yeah, as long as you haven't put it onto your phone because you take the voucher pin from the airtime voucher and you put that directly onto our app. Ah, okay. So money for you the thought behind you this, the, the thought process behind, you know, bringing it to the fore as Pago Payments and also the name, you know, what, what, what spouted and, and, and brought that about? So 
before Paro, while I was still in university, I was working on a um, platform which you could just uh, describe as a LinkedIn for sports. And I was still based in Ireland at the time, but the platform was serving uh, most users who were coming from emerging markets like South Africa and Latin America. So we found that when we started looking at our data, we found that we had a lot of users, over 14,000 users, but um, more than 60% of them were unable to pay um, because they did not have banking. So that's when I started looking at how we could bank the unbanked or online or let people without banking pay online. And pago just simply means payments in Spanish. And so that's why we use the word. Okay, so you went for the Spanish operative as opposed to the the, the local uh, sort of uh, ways of, of saying the word. But fine, fair enough. The inspiration, as you've noted, of course, coming through from those that are unbanked in South Africa, needing it yeah. uh, quite uh, quite a lot then. When taking a hold of this idea, the difficulties with regards to getting it patented, getting it uh, sort of off the ground and running, uh, what were some of those? And, and, and are you finding that it's still difficult to get people to understand it, to use it? Um, or has it become a little bit easier as time progresses purely because it's needed uh, in, in such a, a, a vast manner? So, yeah, there were a few challenges, like, uh, but uh, they're more internal uh, challenges that we had to deal with as a team while either building uh, the software or sort of figuring out the business model of how this would be a business and make money. Um, but obviously, as we were, we've been working on it for just over seven months now, so as we just worked on the business and built it out, um, we got to uh, learn how to deal with those challenges or overcome them. Yeah, so it, it's it's very difficult to overcome the the factors that sort of hinder South African businesses and entrepreneurship, particularly funding. Did you have to face a a huge conundrum when it came to that, or has it have you found that the the situation has become perhaps a little more smooth for entre- entrepreneurs? Um, so I left South Africa when I was young, and I went over to Ireland. And when I came back, um, which was, which was last year, um, it's what I, I found that, uh, especially in Cape Town, because we were in the startup bootcamp accelerator before we moved to Johannesburg. I found that um, the things, well, things don't look that difficult for entrepreneurs as compared to Ireland as well. So South Africa, the South Africa startup ecosystem, I think, is pretty good. So yeah. Okay, fair enough. I mean, the market itself has, has, uh, as, as you said, perhaps you know, is 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 difficult to get into, but it has been some good reception for you. So, what are you hoping, you know, comes out of this? How how far do you want to take this entity? How far do you want to take the business? Uh, and and what is your hopes then for garnering enough support to perhaps take it, you know, into some other parts of of, of Africa, if not beyond? So yeah, what we. We want to grow our our merchants that work with us. We integrated our system so that they can accept power payments. Um, and then uh, we want to uh, see a growth in the users in South Africa and internet consumers. And as you said, across Africa. So we just want to see how how, how like um, how big uh, we can get in terms of people accepting the platform. And it's going to be interesting to see how we change it over time because as we learn and get more feedback. And in terms of like going out of South Africa. So we're already having that conversations. Uh, we're not ready to scale yet, I'd say. So South Africa is still very much our, our focal point. But we've started having conversations uh, with uh, telcos in, 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 in countries outside of South Africa, like Kenya um, and Rwanda. And um, I'm supposed to be in the U.S. right now as well, because we have an opportunity in, in, in Puerto Rico, but we're still working on all those things. 
Yeah. All right. Philip, appreciate your time this morning. Philip Mgatti is the founder and CEO of Pago Payments there. Uh, and the, the app it allows you, of course, then to you know, be the unbanked and still be able to use sort of online banking payments and support uh, phone credit-driven online payments uh, in order to, of course, help and create a financially inclusive South African economy there and is an alternative to traditional electronic debit or credit card payments. Appreciate your time then, of course, uh, Philip, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to look out for Pago Payments as it continues to grow. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. All right, so it's 7.50. As usual, Gary Boyson still joining me. Um, you know, you heard him a little bit earlier as well, and he's still here. A lot still happening with regards to the market. Um, we did talk about that trade figure, $17.2 billion coming through as the uh, biggest surplus on record. So that was uh, quite significant. But here we go with that Steinhoff situation again. Now, the former CEO, Marcus Euster, 5 million rand for the two months he worked for the retail company in fiscal 2018. Before we get to Steinhoff, I think we need to just unpack those uh, those trade numbers. Okay. Because we, we okay. make, we're making them sound positive. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if that's the, the, the right the I right. I mean, December is generally a, a great month, right? It's one of those where you have a whole lot of imports because people are supposed to be buying more, yeah. less exports. But, but, but again, it's, yeah, yeah, it's exports, less imports. So, so with the trade surplus, basically what's happened is like, the, and one of the reasons that we got the beat was, was because the, the imports fell, but only slightly, like slightly less than we expected them to fall. Okay. Um, but then we got a much larger reduction in, in imports, which is kind of creating the, the trade surplus. Mm-hmm. But it's actually that South Africans are not importing enough. Yeah. So I mean, we saw like the import component actually slid twenty five to slid to twenty five point eight percent, which is is massive. And uh, it, it looks like the, the majority of the slide actually came in the, in the machinery and electronic sector. So you know, not not so much even the, the oil, which yeah. is which is a, is a large component. And that to me is again, you know, we we kind of looking at it going good a trade surplus, but it's also like oh bad. South Africans, we don't have enough money to import the TVs and the electronic goods that mm, we mm. we actually would like to use as Which consumers. Which is symptomatic then of South Africa's consumer market, as we spoke about a whole lot earlier, right? So consumers are struggling, so they're not buying as much, so there's no need to import a lot. So it makes this figure look absolutely and, amazing. And it looks great, like yeah. But I suppose it's the natural mechanics of an economy controlling our spending as as mm. as, as, as customers. And you know, when when we're not producing enough ec- economically, we don't get to import all the goodies from from foreign countries. Countries, unfortunately, so uh, while it does seem like positive news, it's it's. I don't want to finish the show. <laughs> so let's go to something more fun than no, that. No, we'll get we'll get a whole lot more fun than that. I promise you. Uh, but uh, very quickly, any thoughts on just Marcus just netting five million rand off just two months of work? On the other side, you have somebody with just an idea asking for 70 billion <laughs> yeah but, but this, this again it's five million you know like in in the value destruction of steinoff which, which runs into the billions five million again it's it's this difference between million and billion you know yeah. like five million and we, we can get really angry about it but i mean it's it really it's it's such a small drop in the ocean compared to the the, the value destruction of the, the steinoff story altogether yeah it is a, a sad story overall but this time around we have no Tash, but we do have you, Gary. <laughs> so I've, I've been desperately searching for for, for fun <laughs> stories. So what, what I've got is uh, it's a story around. It's actually it's a franchising story as okay, well. Okay, look so, at that. So it's, it's a continuation of the franchising discussion. Um, and what we've got is that. Uh, 
uh, McDonald's at least, uh, was taken to task by a, a small company, not unlike our Vodacom <laughs> story. See, I'm tying it all together with a fun story um, called Supermac, which uh, basically has been you know, in litigation with them around the, the, the trademark of the name Big Mac, saying that it's hindered expansion for them into the, into the European Union. So they've now won their case. So Big Mac is no longer trademarked in, in the, the European Union to Big Mac. So, so basically anybody can use the word Big Mac now in, 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 in Europe in, in particular. In especially other franchise owners, sure. which is what Burger King has taken <laughs> up. So Burger King has created a new menu and, and they've been fast. So now in Burger King Sweden, you can order things off the menu. And there's a wonderful picture of this, which I'll put on Twitter. Things called like a Big Mac, but actually big. There's <laughs> the burger Big Mac wished it was. There's the Big Mac-ish grilled, of course. Oh, and then there's, no. what, I think this one's probably my favorite, kind of like a Big Mac, but juicier and tastier. <laughs> <laughs> that is on the Burger King menus in Sweden at the oh, moment. Oh, no. Like, how do, you, how do you fight that then as, as McDonald's and come back, you know, with a hard-hitting campaign to, despite losing that license, you know, find a way for, for you to still maintain that authority with regards to it, you know, like, a, like an ad hoc authority, if I can call it that. Well, we know that they're going straight back to court to try get the trademark no, back. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's for the creatives to come up with. But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it's first mover advantage here. <laughs> one point of a, to, to Burger King. Yeah, no, least. definitely one point <laughs> to them on this one. Wow, what an interesting, uh, you know, segment, so to speak, there as well. Well, sadly, of course, the, the news around ESCOM continues to just loom large. It could be broken up into two state-owned companies. If Cabinet, of course, does accept the recommendations of President Cyril Ramaphosa, that's according to experts uh, in their task team at its Lechotla as well this week, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa is hoping to announce the new shape and size of ESCOM in his State of the Nation address on Thursday, February the 7th. And the ANC has apparently agreed to the unbundling in principle. So a lot then will be looked at when it comes to the State of the Nation address on February the 7th. It's only six days away. So that's next week, right? And uh, how much can actually be said? How much can be put out? How much can the president really say with regards to, to ESCOM at this time? And it really is significant because whatever plans he says he needs to put in, they need to be implemented and implemented fast. 419 billion rand of debt in that company. So it is hurting the coffers and it's probably one of the biggest single risks for South Africa's economy and could plunge it uh, into really, really dire straits. So just thought I'd unpack as well what's coming up for the remainder of, well, headed into next week, of course. Uh, second quarter of 2019 sales and revenue update from Sasol, uh, the company's first quarter of 2019, uh, you know, based uh, primarily then on an ethane price of uh, 28 CPGs, uh, brought them to between around 250 million rand US dollar was the expected earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. So we'll see how far that goes for them next week. SAPI's uh, first quarter earnings for 2019 are also expected. And according to management, the company expects to sell lower volumes of printing and writing paper in 2019. Well, I guess that's not really new. ArcelorMittal's full-year earnings as well are expected next week. And it's November operational updates. The company had announced that overall steel sales grew by 3.5% to 1.1 million tons. So perhaps there may be a slight bit of positivity there uh, as well expected to come out. Um, Tuesday also marks the last day to trade in order to participate in the Taste Holdings Rights offer. And that has been quite significant of late too. So we thought, you know, it, it's quite significant and important to be able to 
to, to do that one and see just how far Taste Holdings actually goes uh, when it comes to this uh, uh, as well. So a lot happening. The U.S. earnings season as well comes out. How Are you looking forward to that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's rolling around at the moment, and uh, yeah, so so far it's, it's been fairly positive. So it, it's it's kind of the beats and misses. I mean, we saw obviously the the, the, the Facebook earnings coming in a little bit better, and that uh, you know helping to buoy a stock that's been under a lot of pressure. And yeah. um, we've kind of been watching the big tech heavyweights. We've had the banks report. So so we we, we kind of like earnings seasons moving on now, and uh, it, again it, it looks fairly positive. So we we saw a lot Facebook of Facebook as well. Yeah, so Facebook it, look, it looked okay, but I mean you know if you look at earnings season in general, like. We, we saw a lot of downgrades of, of expected earnings in, into this earnings season. So, you know, the kind of the wild optimism we saw from a couple of quarters ago, you know, on the back of the, the, the Trump tax cuts uh, it has, has really moderated. So it's allowed companies to come out with, I think, fairly solid earnings. And it's, it's one of the reasons that we're seeing this kind of, I think, recovery this January as well. It's just yeah. the, 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 the couple of companies that have reported, well, at least the companies that have reported up until now have been doing okay. So it's uh, it's reasonable. Um, yeah, Facebook, yeah, big, big recovery, which is good. Yeah. Look, uh, it looks like uh, Google Google's fourth quarter numbers should be satisfactory given the recent momentum in mobile search and YouTube during the holiday season in particular. And that's according to Bloomberg estimates, which are guiding for solid double-digit growth numbers there. They also expect that uh, to happen as well for Twitter, which seems to uh, be perhaps going at a good tilt on that front. Uh, according to uh, FactSet, 22% of the companies in the S&P 500 had reported earnings by last week Friday, with 71% uh, reporting earnings above the mean estimate and 59% having reported sales above the overall expected average. Of course, today as well, back home, we are expecting vehicle sales, as it is the first day of a new month. So vehicle sales date is also expected out a little later today, around 1 or 2 p.m. or so. So we'll get that number as well. It has been quite difficult because, of course, again, we're not importing as much and neither are we exporting as well as we probably would like. So that situation with regards to vehicle sales has been very, very difficult. But that brings us to the end of the show. And I know usually you get somebody to say it's eight o'clock for us. But this time around, we've decided that for the month of February, we'll try and get our market commentators to do it for us. So Gary, uh, it's just about that time. I hope you're ready for it. It's coming up in about four seconds time. This is the first time you're going to do it. You have to do it right. Here we go. It's eight (laughs) o'clock. Goodbye for us.